And I'm Shandine Garcia. Today we're going to be. <laughs> you didn't have to highlight it on the dock. <laughs> You're such an asshole. I was going to get it that time. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Delma Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today we're going to be joined by a dear friend of mine, Keith Catone. So happy you're joining us today because you won't want to miss it. Shandine, I'm wondering how you're doing, what you're holding, what's coming up for you. I'm almost like changing my mind about what I wanted to, 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 to change and share. So part of what the space that I'm in these days is I've got more and more time now as I'm self-nesting, not empty-nesting, to explore other things, to be with other friends, to have time to myself since my kids are both gone. And so I, I, I did the uh, medical regimen in order to prepare myself to get the vaccine uh, because I'm allergic to vaccines. Mm-hmm. And... I got it, the first shot, and it was terrible. I ended up being in the hospital, and they intubated me, and it was a whole thing. And I found myself, I thought I was going to be nonstop obsessed with the vitriol and anger and all of the things that you would anticipate around what the anti-vaxxing movement has done that creates the conditions for us to not have herd immunity. And I really thought it was going to take up all of my energy and my life and my time. And it didn't last as long as I thought it would. Mm. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a significant interruption in my time, and it was really scary. It's not a, a small thing to be struggling to breathe. Mm-hmm. But, and then have to deal with the, you know, the when they shove a tube down your throat and have you like and they knock you out and the whole thing that's not great and recovering from that isn't great i don't know why i wasn't nearly as angry as i thought i would be and so i've been thinking about that a lot because normally i would be writing about it be screaming about it be just talking with everybody and taking up all the space in the world about it and i just didn't and i don't know if it was because it was met with a lot of loving care and concern from family and friends or if like I knew I was in a job where I I could easily take off of work and 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 my colleagues would cover for me and would be supportive it didn't it just didn't cause the horrificness that I thought it would and I'm sort of sitting with that in a in a way that appreciate generosity like all the things and I'm just a little bit stunned by it follow-up question do you feel is there any part of you that feels obligated to be upset? I think on behalf of this shitty system setup that we're in, I'm not against folks who don't get a vaccine because of deep historical racism, shit like that. And like that makes sense. I, But I am angry on behalf. You know what? Maybe it's something else. Like, the folks who are on the right, who are super anti 
vaxxers who I'm really angry with, I'm really all those things. I'm also just, I just feel so sorry and sad for their kids and their families <laughs> a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. Maybe not working 80-hour work weeks and having more time and more space for self has allowed for a little bit more, like, less, like, more patience and more whatever. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question, mm-hmm. though. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's up with you? I can actually kind of riff off of what you were just speaking to. I think what's been coming up for me a lot has to do with, so, um, being someone who listens to NPR uh, pretty much every day, it came to my attention that <clears throat> the boss, uh, Bruce Springsteen, had teamed up with uh, <laughs> Obama to host a pod. And from what I understood, from what I was, you know, the little bit I, I heard from both Springsteen and Obama. The idea of this podcast is to um, hold space for conversations that kind of reconvene America in a way, right? The idea is that we are going to hold space that allows for some 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 healing to mm-hmm. take place mm-hmm. because America is, is vastly divided. I'm also listening to conversations on Capitol Hill. And in some of the investigative reporting that's been done, whistleblowing that's been done around Facebook, how things work internally there and the algorithms and how mm-hmm. it impacts the information people get and whatever. And to me, all of that is connected and all of it goes into the anti-vax piece, um, the conversations around critical race theory, the conversations around... Uh, they just released a poll yesterday I heard on NPR um, more Republicans believe that Trump had the election stolen from him than than when he started the big lie they're, they're, it's gaining traction instead of losing traction over time all, right? all of that combined there's a part of me that's developing a very uh, doomsday-esque Civil War esque kind of scenario because I don't know how you do reconvening and reconnecting when I'm allowed to live in a very separate universe from the person next to me. When we can't look at the same set of details, we're not just arguing over what conclusions we make of the details anymore. You have your details and I have mine. That's a very different thing. And so I think even when it comes back to this podcast and the whole goal here, I don't like the fact that I work so much toward trying to bring folks together while I'm simultaneously holding a sense that there are just certain people I no longer want to be around. And I want to get as far away from y'all motherfuckers as possible. It's hard to... It's hard to reconcile those two very real things that are inside of me right now. Yeah, I wish we had language for it. I talk about when cognitive dissonance is present all the time, but it's 
it's deeper than that. It's more than that. We were we were exploring the other day the language of is it hypocrisy? It's not hypocrisy. What is it? And I don't. I, I want to duality. Wanna... Is that does it just come down to that? I don't it, know. It feels like it's more than that. Like there's like the the multitudes inside us have never been allowed to. We've never been allowed to say them out loud. And so if we're naming two sort of polarities, you know there's sure shit or more. Yeah, so there's there's something to be said for the complexities inherent in seeing ourselves as both divided as a nation and uh, divided as individuals in the in the spaces that we move in um, while trying to tell folks how to heal and come together and be whole um, and I think if anybody reads that as hypocrisy <laughs> they full of shit because I'm not here for anybody coming to me like yeah I see the unity and that's all I see is the unity and I always feel the unity <laughs> and on and on and on like I'm not here for that um mm-mm. yeah mm-hmm. I I I want to <laughs> I struggle with it I worry about it all of the time that the level like showing up in my fullest humanity is not what they paid for. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, can I rephrase that to make sure I understood what you just said? Are you saying basically they paid for a version of you? Correct. Not the whole you, but a sliver of you. The shiniest parts of you. Correct. Is what they are paying for. Yes. Yes. And so you feel obligated? Yes. To keep everything else at yes. bay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we've okay. been we've been working at trying to actually articulate it for the past two weeks in prepping for the inaugural episode and in episode two and three. But yeah, yes. And I think the charge is how can we or let me talk about me specifically how can i actually work to show up with all of me in those spaces and and you had said it well earlier which is part of it it's not safe it just isn't mm-hmm. and part of it is reading a room and really trying to help folks from a strength to strength linking known to new, helping them get from point A to point B through trust, through relationship, through connection. And so showing up with a, y'all are fucking killing me this week. White people be fucking killing me. But I'm here and we're doing this is not the way to get that to to get to the goal. But rather to hold that shit at bay. And that's what we're paid to do. To be honest... If you take what you just said 
and turn down the volume a couple decibels. That's exactly how I've started showing up in spaces. Mm. Let me tell you, though, like, I literally have gotten to the point now where I'm like, look, before we get started, this week has been a little crazy in terms of, like, the national conversation. Here's the list of things that I'm holding and sitting with right now. And the outcome of me holding and sitting with all of that is that I am definitely a little more pissy, a little less patient, and a little less for the bullshit than I might have been the week before. Shit. Now let's do this. Should I give my right arm to be able to do that well in the spaces where I navigate? Um, I do it more with like the key person at the like if I'm working with a large agency, a large organization, my point of contact, developing that relationship, being really real with that person before I'm going into their their org or their group or their community. Um, I don't know, except for when it was like so horrific, like so, like look, I'm going into just having watched the third fucking public murder, and I'm struggling a little bit today. Let's lean in, like. Or, or something personal like my, you know, so and so just died from COVID last week, or like, and I'm struggling, so I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna try. Like the hum, the humanity that I think is palatable, I'll show up with. Are you? <clears throat> are we talking about predominantly white spaces? Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I'm going to say, and we don't have to argue about it, and it's okay if we feel differently about it, but this is what I'm saying to you. I have gotten to the point where I feel strongly that if the conversation is around race and you're going to bring in a BIPOC person, such as myself, to be in a predominantly white space having a conversation about something I have to navigate from an oppressive stance, where we can at least acknowledge that, right? You're asking a lot of me. Because I have to hold my pain and your hand. And I've signed up for it. But I'll be damned if you're not going to see my humanity in the process. That I won't give you. I'm not saying I'm right. You're right. I'm wrong. Like, yeah, this is this is the growth, my growth trajectory. Like, I would, like I said, I'd give my fucking right arm to, like, be at that place. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to become your angry Obama. <laughs> and when you start a workshop, you just cut on a television or a laptop. <laughs> And I'm, my face will be there. And I'm going to say, good afternoon, good morning. I am Shandine Garcia. This is the bullshit that has happened this week that we all know about collectively. I'm not here for the bullshit. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. And then you cut that off, and then you just launch in, into your thing. You don't have to say a word. I got you. And I know you say that in jest, but that's actually something um, I'm actually moving toward, literally. Like, that I knew I had to get into this space a couple, it was like um, two months ago. 
and I was prepping for it. I was more like walking up and down the hallway in my house, practicing like the the, the values, the anchoring, the how is going to present it, how is like, and then right before I, I can't remember if I said this before in a pod, so I apologize if this is repeating it, but right before I got on, I could feel all of like my heart pounding and sweating and like all things. And it was, wait, 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 wait. Like, what is, what are we trying to practice, right? And the practice is pull my ancestors in the room, fine. Mm -hmm. And then second was pull my brothers and sisters in the room next to me. And what can that be? So I did. So I put Lori right there, Khalif right there, Jonah right there, Robin right there, Yane right Like put them all, you know, Rena and Leah all around me. Like physically seeing them. Mm. And then going in. That was helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was helpful because the work is for us and each other. But no, I, I am not great at showing up as my full self in these spaces trying to to do the work we're trying to do i can't help but wonder if some of this too is gendered i'd be interested in in talking to a group of folks who identify as men folks who identify as women somewhere in between neither or and getting a sense of Right, it's not scientific. I'm not trying to do this for years and get a big stuff, but just an informal kind of thing. Let's not do informal. Love. Let's ask our male uh, guests. Let's see if um, you know. My friend Keith is listening to what we're saying, and when we when we move to that part where we pull him into this conversation, let's ask him because you may be right. I'm I, and you call me on this all the fucking time, all the fucking time, and I never see it. And you center trying to be in right relationship with gender inequalities all the time. I don't mm-hmm. know if you I don't, like I know you say it, but I don't know if you see that your that's that lens and your brain is so sharp and you're always telling me, well some of that shit's gender, Shandine. Like are you like some of that and I never have that lens. Mm-hmm. Ever. Mm-hmm. Occasionally I'm like, oh it's because I'm a fucking woman. You fucking must be nice to fuck Bob up. But it's 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 usually <laughs> like cynical <laughs> and then I move on. Uh-huh. Not like around um, compassion for self in what I'm trying to be doing mm. or acknowledging the container mm-hmm. no that's, that's, that's fair that's fair um, yeah I'm, I'm, I am curious you know about that, that part of it and then what does that mean in terms of allyship Mm-hmm. So you already mm-hmm. heard my offer, right? You just cut on the, t- the screen. I'm I'm already there. I got you. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's what's up. We I should, hear the call in too. That. Like I, I like I can't even like I go almost like struggling to breathe thinking about it. <laughs> I can't even like I can't even imagine it. I'm almost nervous thinking about what it would look like to open a a convening as my full self or a session or whatever. But. We'll try to pull you in the room. I think DBT would tell us that if you do it once, it'll get easier. And then the more mm. you do it, the, the easier yeah, it'll yeah, be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. Don't even worry about it. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> We're going to figure this out. Don't go all the way, though. Don't overcorrect it. Be all right. <laughs> like, be ratchet as shit. Will you open up, smacking like, the first motherfucker? Murdered, missing indigenous <laughs> women. You're fucking causing that shit, you know motherfuckers. What? 
And you yeah. look just like this one. And you just get to choke that <laughs> Like, we don't need that. All right? Don't don't swing the other way. <laughs> you can't choke the participants. <laughs> Damn. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back. Thanks, everybody. We are super excited to have my friend Keith with us today. And I'm going to read a couple highlights from his bio because I think it's important and you should know about the spaces he's in. But then I want to tell you a small story. Before Center for Youth and Community Leadership and Education cycle, Keith served as Associate Director for Community Organizing and and Engagement at the Annenberg Institute for School Reform and is an adjunct assistant professor of education at Brown University. He has served on the board of directors for the Education for Liberation Network and College Visions, and he's authored a ton of articles and research. His first book, The Pedagogy of Teacher Activism, Portraits of Four Teachers for Justice, explores connections between pedagogical purpose, power, and possibility, in the context of working with teachers, youth, families, and communities to change the world. One of the things that I love the most about Keith is I was at a conference um, where Erasure was present around Indigenous humans, um, and he showed up in real solidarity around what that looked like and the impact for folks there. But the thing that I love most is prior to that, Um, there was a pretty important conference that people go to in my community a lot called Free Minds, Free People, um, associated with Education for Liberation Network. They host that conference. And I was on a series of going to convenings and going to places where just Indigenous people were erased again and again and again. And I said, fine, I'll go to Free Minds, Free People, but if this happens again, I swear to God, I'm going to fucking lose my shit. And um, someone said, you know, I know someone who actually is helping organize that. Reach out. And it was Keith who showed up with integrity as a learner, as um, not afraid to engage, but also didn't show up as having the answers. And that to me meant, oh, this is someone who I want to be friends with, I want to learn from, I want to walk next to. And from that, we got to learn more about each other, and our world started colliding more um, in this in our virtual spaces that we navigate. And so we're super excited and honored to have him here with us today. Welcome, Keith. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And a very gracious story um, by way of introduction. We're glad you made some time. Um, curious um, if you wanted to share with us a little bit about what you do, how you got to where you do, how you enter the world. Sure. Uh, The day job is executive director at Cycle, the Center for Youth and Community Leadership and Education. We are part of Roger Williams University. We're based in um, the state of Rhode Island, uh, Providence. 
uh, and uh, we have ties to Bristol, where our main campus is, um, and those are all lands of the Narragansett and the Poconocet. Uh, and we do this work though throughout New England, um, and and all and a little bit of national work. And this work being really trying to connect youth and communities. Uh, to the decisions that are being made about their schooling um, and their public education. And so we do that through convening people to learn from each other, to tell their stories, to, to share strategies, to build relationships. We do that through specific uh, technical assistance around community organizing for education justice. Uh, we do a lot of work in the community in Providence and with a lot of partners in Providence, but we do this work uh, with with youth organizations and other parent and community organizations throughout the six New England state. You know, the way I came into this work is interesting to think about for me because I, you know, professionally started as a classroom teacher um, and did a lot of work in activist social movement, social justice spaces as a classroom teacher. And, and but when, when went back to graduate school, ostensibly to get uh, administrative credential, which I got, but never used, uh, because then I got roped into continuing graduate school uh, and started doing research on community organizing and actually got a part-time job as a youth organizer while in, in, in a doctoral program. And that shifted me um, into thinking a lot about the spaces that we create in schools that don't support community um, and the spaces that exist in communities that are the kind of the spaces I wish schools would emulate and, and how to draw those connections, right? And so I think that ultimately was a, a way in for me and thinking about, okay, I'm in this, I'm doing research on community organizing. I have a strong identity as an educator and teacher. I oddly, I think, thrive in school settings. Like I've always been good at school. Um, I, I, I had, a, I really enjoyed teaching, um, I, the institutional kind of toxicity somehow, you know, I'm oddly immune to, I don't know. Um, and I can see it, but it, but it doesn't like destroy me. And so there's been this interesting sort of like juxtaposition of like, um, seeing and loving and being in community, but also realizing that. For, the vo for those of us that have this ability to kind of move in these institutional spaces, um, how are we how are we bringing that together? How are we leveraging, you know, our critique of those spaces and our ability to be in them and be accepted in them, right? To so some of your earlier conversation, I think, uh, around the ways in which we uh, differently feel, uh, feel permission to show up. Um, and so... So I think a lot of the work that, that I find myself doing, whether it's cycle or whether it's through Education for Liberation Network and the Free Minds, Free People space, is trying to build and draw those connections, right? How are we leveraging the best of what we have in communities to make schools and, and places of learning um, institutions that actually serve our communities? Uh, and, and I think ultimately that's that's the, the big picture, the big goal. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of sort of personal, I mean, my, my, my research 
for the book where it was with portraiture, which relies a lot on life history to kind of think about and map political trajectory into what you, who you are and what you do. Um, so I, I, you know, I can get more, do, do a lot of that excavation, um, on myself, but, but I think the, where it's coming out now is, is sort of in all of these different ways, trying to connect communities and schools. I have a question, but I feel like I've just talked a lot. Delma, did you have a question first? Because I have one. No, I could tell this is bubbling up for you. What's up? Well, well, it's two. One is, I find it fascinating that your educational experience was not one of, like, toxicity and harm. And and that and not that I don't find it fascinating that you could thrive in that, but that you're leading centering community voice which i bet is full of all of like that toxicity and harm that you're hearing that they've experienced in order to like leverage and change and like like school systems to be better um i'm trying to frame my question folks one would think a, a typical response is, well, that hasn't been my experience, so therefore it couldn't have possibly have been yours, or how could it be yours, or how could, you know, like the sort of disbelief that it happened. Where did you learn that level of, uh, like, type of authentic listening and, and engagement and relationship building in order for that not to be a typical mm. response? Where'd that come from? Yeah, that's, that, that does get into some of the life history, I guess. So, so I'm half Chinese, half Italian for the most part on the white half, there's other things. Um, but I never, I think there was always a racialized othering that I felt throughout my childhood. So I never felt full belonging. Um, and nowadays there's a lot of research on belonging, but in the education space, but, but, which I don't know enough about, so don't ask me, but the, there's, there is, <laughs> I just know it's out there. Google it. But, but Keith Catone, <laughs> expert on belonging. But, uh, but personally, you know, so I, I know I was searching for a college context that felt different to me specifically around racial diversity. Right. And so where I could be with other people of color and explore those things. Cause racial identity was not something that I felt supported in, um, in my childhood or right? supported in developing in my childhood. And I think like that experience and the sort of like come coming into a sense of who I was from sort of as, as a, as a person of color in college really exposed the inadequacy of my upbringing and my schooling, right? Even though I was very successful in that space, right? I can do the school things. I could play school really, really well. Um, there was, I just realized how much and how, how much I didn't learn and how inadequate what I learned was. I also never really had to try that hard. And so, and so like, which on one level is obnoxious, but on another level is like evidence of it not being much useful, right? Like to me, um, because the, the, the straight up book learning and academic stuff, um, you know, I guess did come easy to me in a, in a certain way. That's the obnoxious part, but the, but the, 
the like actual learning about who you are, what we want to be in the world, what we want the world to be around us, how we, how we can shape that world together. None of that, none of that existed. Right. And so, um, but, it, but, it, but I think, and so that to me is, I feel like, so when you, when you layer that with, um, and, and I, and I had a relatively like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a college town. So it's this like nice, solidly middle-class public school system that has like a lot of people who care about education, you know, so it, it has resources. It does what it does well. Um, but it doesn't do so much. And then layer that with then working in Providence schools very early in my, in my undergraduate, um, experience. I was, I was coordinating a tutoring site at, at a Providence middle school. I was teaching in a server program. I did some other work, um, and with a community organizing group in, in Providence. And so seeing then sort of the same inadequacy about the kind of learning layered with like no resources, you know, um, more blatant and explicit racism, uh, all of that. There's just like, well, this, this is, this system is completely trash. Right. And so, yeah, so there was never, and so, yeah, I guess I just never, yeah, it's this weird paradox almost. I'd actually, when y'all were talking earlier about like, is it duality? Is it this? Is it that? My, the word in my mind was paradox, where it's like we hold these things that are just sort of contradictory, and that's part of the humanity of it, right? Like, you know, I have, my work is in education. I have a disdain for the institution of schools. I'm supposed to try to like work to make schools better. I don't expect a whole lot from my child's school. Like there's just like all these weird paradoxes of like, I'm like, we're like, what did he learn? I was like, I, he probably nothing. And why are you okay with that? He's in fourth grade. I don't know what he's learned. Like, he has learned a bunch of things, but, but like, you know, but he hasn't learned a lot of the things that I think are important. But I then I'm not I, I don't expect that of the institution because I never you know like there's these weird pieces. Like I'm not big into like degrees, and then I have too many of them, um, you know. And so it's like all these things where I think. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just that that being okay with with that, and so that, so I think Shandine, one of the things you're naming is the paradox, right? Of like of my narrative of, of saying of being like, so I thrive in these spaces that are toxic, right? And I'm recognizing both those as true, um, but I take that as then a responsibility, right? Like. I think that that is the other shift around like, well, one shift could be what you were naming is like, well, I'm doing fine. So y'all who don't know how to survive, like, good luck. Um, but so that's not been and I mean, that has to do with I think, you know, my, my family's values, my parents, my, you know, all of these things that sort of instilled in me, like, you're supposed to be doing something good in the world. Um, and so so yeah, so I think that's, that's been sort of, for me, a pretty explicit turn to say, yeah, I, I, I get how these systems work and I get how people and myself have been successful in them. And they're, and that's also, I think in some ways why I get how fucked up they are. One of the things I'm always thinking about, cause I have three, well, my oldest graduated high school last year, but I have two, uh, younger ones, one in middle school, 
the other is started has started her freshman year of high school. What is education in the traditional sense, right? In the in the most if we can boil it down to kind of the basic elements you could expect in public education. What is education good at? Right? If 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 that institution has mastered anything, what do you see as its central the the thing that it has a really good grasp on? And then what it does education suck at? Gee, so my first answer to the good at was cynical. So I don't know if the if that's what you're getting yeah, please, at. Please, we so, love cynicism. It's so like it's it's good at Let me be very clear. Let me be very clear, Keith. <laughs> Delma's first name is actually cynicism. <laughs> yeah. His well, middle name is cynicism. His last name is cynicism. Because I, I one of the things I was gonna say is and I feel like I have in some ways watched this uh with my own child it's like so it's good at destroying creativity and stripping the joy away from learning like <laughs> but that's what it's really good at right it's it's good at it's good at taking what we taking the idea of learning and like packaging it in the most stale way possible so as to dis to, to so as to kind of like disinterest a huge numbers of young people um broadly right and i think schools that we see as successful are good at not doing that right they have actually figured out and, and understand mm-hmm. that like no learning mm-hmm. is a human <laughs> you know uh instinct that we can leverage for you know people's own happiness and community well-being and like to me that's where schools the orientation of learning should be in schools around those two things people's own human sort of like happiness and joy and community well-being yeah academic skills are actually wrapped up in that broadly practically right but if we don't do in the, if we don't think about those purposes we actually just focus on skills and we we strip them of their spirit right we strip them of their meaning um and i think you know broad also in a lot of schools of ed and i you know i haven't done like i don't have data to necessarily back up this claim but but anecdotally a lot of people uh my network that work in schools of ed and in teacher preparation in particular you know um and driven by like state state uh teacher teacher credentialing requirements i did classes and coursework and deep thinking around the foundations of education like educational philosophy purpose and foundation sociology of education those are not part of teacher preparation those are not seen as like very core and important right and so th- that stuff has been pushed aside and i think that reinforces this notion that schools are these institutions who are trying to be good at conveying these these discrete set of skills to people so that they know how to like function in the world right so it, and they're not even that good at that right we see that, that they're not even that good at that but one of the reasons that they're not that good at that is because i think they haven't really we haven't really gone back to thinking about well what is it for right what why are we doing this um you know and even like even just I have staff one of my one of my staff colleagues is always sort of tagging that on to all of our work and thinking like 
for what? Like, you know, we're building power today. You know, <laughs> we're doing, we're trying to do this thing. Like, for what? Right? Like, and I think that's at core, like, what a lot of, what, what students are always asking, right? Like, what is this for? And if we don't have a good answer, then why are we even doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So that, that, that's, that's both what they're good at and shitty at in the same answer, I guess. Um, they're also really mm-hmm. good at, I think, <laughs> yeah. and this is this is actually where some of I've been talking to some friends who are a little more familiar with the belonging work. Good at um, assimilating folks into some sense of conformity, right? And so that that is actually worrisome theoretically in the belonging conversation, and if we're not actually asking that for what or to what, right? To what am I? belonging or like you know like what 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 is it that i want to that you're trying to instill belonging into because the kind of institution that i'm describing i don't know if you want to feel like you belong to that right and so so if we're not if we're not also you know problematizing what the institution is that we're trying to belong to or feel belonging with Right. I want to feel belonging with something that is going to feed me that, that, you know, that is going to make me thrive. And um, and if not, I mean, I think this is the work of uh, I always whenever I'm on a podcast or some 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 speaking in some way to a group of people, um, whether, you know, I don't know how many people will listen to this, but always try to cite Carla Shalaby's work. and, and Carla Shalaby wrote a book called Troublemakers a couple of years ago, which to me is still one of the best books on education in the last five, ten years, um, which essentially is saying, like, we need to learn from young people who are being labeled as troublemakers as those folks who are actually more specifically trying to tell us what's toxic about these spaces called schools, right? So, like, if you are mm-hmm. acting out... Mm-hmm. That's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because there's something wrong with the space, and we're and, and young people, the yeah. youngest of us, right? So she she looks at and right, does portraits of these little ones, first or second graders. They're trying to tell those of us around them that something is wrong here. They don't necessarily have the the language to articulate it in in some of the ways we might talk about it. Um, but if we just label them as troublemakers, like they just acting out and they don't know how to be, we actually, we're missing the messaging that they're trying to tell us. Right. And so what can we learn from young people who are saying, who are refusing, right. At an early point that they're actually the ones that are saying that are recognizing how messed up this place is and not going to play along. Um, they're the ones that we should be learning from. Not, not the little, not the little ones like me who just went along succeeding, quote unquote, right? Like you didn't learn shit from me because, because to Sean Dean's earlier point, what you learn from looking at someone who, like me who went through school is that it works, right? If, if with that narrow lens. So we actually need to learn from the people from whom it's not working. So I want to say several things. One is, um, I respectfully disagree with the, um, shouldn't learn from people like you because what you blew past really fast earlier 
was your nod to ancestral wisdom of your family and your parents and the values and the stuff that they instilled with you. Because that's what you're leveraging. You're not leveraging, it feels like to me, an invitation to consider. You're not leveraging how great it was for you to like have your learning. It's the values that like that that feed the work. So I think um, just kind of gentle invitation to you. Um, the, the second thing is... Um, when you said uh, that the, the, these young folks may not necessarily have the language for it, I mean, there is such fucking clarity when a student stands up and throws a goddamn like chair across the room saying, not fucking today, and walks out of the room. Like, that to me, no word could make that clearer than to say, no, I'm not going to sit through Huckleberry Finn again. I'm not going to sit through hearing the N-word for the and the, 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 the thousandth time, I won't do it. I won't do it. And their refusal is so goddamn clear. Another um, dear friend of mine right, wrote a book called Make Me by Eric Tashalis. And it's along the lines of what you're, um, the scholar that you mentioned saying is like, this is them saying, your way is not working for me. And we have tried to say that, and you have not heard it. So I'm going to show you differently in a way that you can hear it. Um, the the paradox and the struggle that your name and I love the concept of paradox. Um, the struggle for me is: Are you familiar with um, culturally sustaining pedagogical approaches? The work of Paris and Alim. So I've been thinking about it a lot, and there for them it's like the next. And I'm like I don't want to speak for them, but my interpretation of it: the next iteration, the next depth right. in cultural right. relevance and cultural responsiveness, right? And I've been talking about it and preaching about it, which and what it is for our audience who isn't steeped in really, you know, heady theoretical notions. Uh, you all can't say this, but Domo's raising his hand, like, explain that yeah, shit to I'm me. Like, explain that shit to me. Yeah, is, yeah come on. And, and then you can also correct me, Keith, where I have it wrong, but culturally sustaining pedagogical approach, the, the theoretical premise of it is that schools should be places where everybody can show up and thrive, not just survive. It's not enough to like find literature that relates to who I am or help me navigate a difficult system and be my friend and buddy and my mentor to help me navigate. Create a system that where I am actually seen and my way of being is present and a, and a part of and integrated into it. So multiple ways of being and knowing can be present. That it's not an exception on a, a, your, your core syllabus, but rather I am visible visible all throughout this system and everybody else is just as visible so like pluralism it exists and i've been i've been sort of advocating for and talking about it and wanting that to be in all of the spaces where i'm at and my dear friend mandy said do respect shandine like families are responsible for helping who you are thrive not the goddamn school setting like, I don't trust the school setting. The most I'll trust a school setting is around cultural relevance. And that's been, I've been struggling with that a little bit about, like, what, it, and that's the, 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 the question we asked ourselves all the time. Do we, like, crush down the whole schoolhouse and rehab a whole system? Or do we try to get in and reform the system as it is? And I don't know that we've given ourselves enough of an invitation to say, um, Yes, and. And I don't mean, like, charter school movement. I don't mean homeschooling movement. I mean, it's it's stuff that Delma and I talked about a little bit in the first season. Is like, how do you 
respect a person when you don't respect the office. Like, I love Auntie Deb, Deb Halland. Do I love the office? I, I love and, you know, had, had care for, you know, these BIPOC women in particular who are in these high offices now, and I don't support the office they're in. And I feel that way about education. Like, I see some pretty dynamic teachers in there trying to do right. And you're right, I have no, I have the lowest expectations of school settings for my children who have damaged, who like have been damaged throughout it. Um, but I believe in educators. I believe in the power of, of youth and community supporting educators side by side and making real change. And I think it feels, um, and that paradox mm-hmm. is just so mm-hmm. alive. Um, and I keep, yeah. now I'm sort of pulling away from hypocrisy, the word of hypocrisy, but it's alive. And I'm curious about, how the youth who you work with talk to you about that struggle and that paradox. I mean, I think, and we don't, we work a lot with youth organizations. Um, so I don't want to, uh, sort of at this stage and where I'm at, where I sit, don't want to, uh, mislead your listeners to that. I'm actually sitting down with talking to young people all the time, um, personally, but, but from what I can glean from the kinds of the kind of work that a lot of youth community-based youth organizing groups are doing they are saying yeah like we want schools to be places where we get to show up as who we are because i think the 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 trouble with the critique that your friend is naming around culture sustaining pedagogy versus sort of just a, a maybe lighter frame of cultural relevance is um that the space is culturally sustaining for somebody, right? There, there is a culture that it is mm. that it is pr- protecting yeah. and or promoting, right? And right now, that's a culture of yeah. white supremacy. So unless you, right, in pretty much every institutional space, so unless you make an explicit decision for it not to be that and to be sustaining of multiple cultures and different ways of being and, 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 uh, and lifting up, folks and you know different kinds of things then then it's going to default right and so it and so i think that is where young people are sort of naming these places aren't places where we get to show up where we don't where we don't see ourselves we don't feel like we can be ourselves i think it relates a lot to your earlier conversation about shandine the way you can show up at the front of a room and at the start of a workshop right because you actually know and understand in those spaces that the spaces aren't set up to for for your whole self like by definition even if they're even if they paid you to be there they they haven't paid they haven't done the work that's why you're there they haven't done the work (laughs) for that to be a space where like that that is accepting of of full of everyone's full selves right or everyone's full being um and I think that's what that's what consistently is getting named by young people, right? Because in, it's it's the sort of nature of schooling, it's the institutional stuff themselves, but it's also the ways that teachers are behaving, right? It's the ways that teachers have been trained to understand what their role is and what their job is, right? That that misses a lot of this conversation um, and focuses in on you know, and we work mostly with high school students, but even at the elementary, focuses in on like content and skill development. As, as your job, as the end-all, be-all. And it's what we measure you by, right? Like, and so, yeah. um, and it's very difficult to break through to sort of say, like, actually, those things will improve if you work on this stuff. 
because because it's not you know people don't see it as that one-to-one connection um but i i well because their measures are stupid their measures are on like test score as opposed to centering relationship with student and community and therefore students will be more whole and feel joy and want to lean in to read and engage and learn and even in the mundane even in the learning algebraic expressions and and critical thinking like if they're in community and they're understanding what that is and in deep relationship they're going to want to do it I have a two-part question for you. Um, at your... One of the things that... Shandine pointed to... A couple minutes ago... That I do think is often at the crux of these kinds of conversations... Is the reform versus revolution... Or reform and revolution kind of... Juxtaposition. Um, is the school system as a whole too far gone to make the sort of meaningful change that's needed. Therefore we um, create something new, an experiment Um, or, and, or do you make incremental change within the systems that are already set up Um, with that question in mind? I wanted to ask you something that I would often ask a lot of guests um, in season one, which is, you know, if you had the resources and all the support you needed to create something um, from the ground up um, or make the reforms with the way of a one that you wanted, either way, um, I often imagine having a space um, where I'm surrounded more by folks who share a lot of my my values, and and we're able to build something from the ground up, so to speak. And if you could put yourself in in said environment with your family, and I put you in charge of designing what our education looks like, you know. What are some of the core tenets that you're you're bringing to bear based on your your learning and your experience? Yeah, it's interesting because the first part of your question I had, you know, I was thinking about just the, the frame of reform and revolution is, um, and, which I think you actually may have brought back into the last framing of, of where you went with it, which is. You know, it can't be education or anything in isolation for that question, right? We can't we can't just blow up schools and restart and never and everything else just operates the way it operates right now. Like well, that won't work, right? So it, it, I think we have to ask ourselves as movement folk or as reformers or as revolutionaries, like, are we in for it all or just for our piece of it? Or like, how are we really thinking about that and building across? across these different areas of work because mm-hmm. um the re- like revolutionary change and that sort of like blow it up and start over 
and everything else is sort of if it, 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 it has to be wholesale i think right and it, for that to even be a useful um exercise right because it, it will be doomed to fail if it if mm-hmm. it's just interacting with the rest of the oppressive institutions around it i, I don't you know so that that and, mm-hmm. and so then we land on the practicality of like how 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 much revolutionary change can we have get through reform? Like probably not much. And like, are we ready to reshape society? I don't know, but your question sort of creates this hypothetical new society, uh, <laughs> you know, where like we got this wand, you know, You're so welcome. then, then, you know, yes. then, and that helps with the imaginativeness <laughs> of, of what we might think about together. But, you know, but I do think there has to be, well, you know, if, if the person, the people, responsible for ed- the education part really need to be connected to all the people in charge of all the part, right. Responsible for all the parts and how are we doing it and building it so that there isn't this dividing line between community and school, but that communities and schools are connected and that the purpose of schooling is actually sort of really arrived at through deep conversation in community. Take us to the places where you actually are at the moment where you are frustrated, exhausted, angry, whatever, and you show up in a way that maybe you hadn't, um, you show up in your fullest humanity. What does that look like? Um, I think it looks like, so I, this is, this is your petty question. The, the, so I hold, (laughs) yes, it is. I was trying to ask it a little more gently, but yes, what's your petty? First time, time, first time caller, long time listener. Um, I've heard the petty question. (laughs) Um, so, so I think the, because I was like, oh, I know you were going to ask. So what, I don't. So it's funny because I almost. <laughs> so you've been practicing I, no, an so answer. Almost, you've been well, like testing it out with it, your wife really, no, and I like. How does this sound? How does this sound? Tweeted, <laughs> not in the context of thinking about our conversation, but I almost tweeted the other day, maybe even this morning. I can't remember when this was. I didn't tweet it, so you can't timestamp this. But I was like, I was going to tweet like something about like, boy, do I hold a grudge? So like, I. There is a, I think there's this line for me, this fine line. So I'm, I am, I am at one, on one level very loyal, which is mostly a good thing. But then if that gets turned or tested or challenged or burnt, if I get burned on that too, like, I don't, it is very hard for me to let that go. Right. And so there are things that i mean i just had a whole conversation with a friend about something she's like it's been four years are you gonna let that go Mm." like i don't have closure i don't know if i want closure (laughs) not likely (laughs) not likely (laughs) my man said said, it's been a leap year you gonna let that well i have always had like for this particular situation i won't get into the details but it's like you know it's personal thing or whatever but it's like but I want, I've been, my, my, the rational articulation of my grudge or my kind of angst around it and anger is like, I want, I want closure for this situation. I know it in this, this, I never got closure. But then I was challenged to be like, do I want closure or I just want to be angry? Right? Like, a, does it just feel good mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. be like, fuck that person or thing or whatever? Right? And like, I just, mm-hmm. and there's a part of me that wants that 
and needs that and feels satisfied with it. And like, it was like, and do I just need to be okay with that? Or is that something I need to work on with a therapist? Like, I'm not sure where those things, where that is. Because there was also, I mean, we had a, a real talk. I'm not flippantly talking about therapy because a real talk about like, oh man, maybe is this something I should be like talking about with a therapist? And I was like, but I don't know if I want to. I think I like this part. You know, so like, I don't, there's a, which won't, you know, I think that's, so that's part of it in terms of, and now how that makes me show up, I don't know, like in a place, so I can, like, I will come out my face in certain ways or like say things that are really antagonistic or, you know, extra sarcasm. Oh, sarcasm. That's, that's my, that's my almost 10 year old about, we have a sarcasm and annoying meter that he has to let me know about when I need to tone it down. So like, like I'm supposed to be annoying on <laughs> his father, I think, but, but, um, that, and maybe that's just a model of my own father, but, but the, the, he will say to me like, I, cause at one point I was like, what scale one to 10, where, where am I at? And he's like 11. I'm like, Oh, okay. And so now he just looks at me and says 11 and I'm like, Oh, okay. I need to scale it back. But, but he hates sarcasm. He's also a very literal child. So like, but I will show up with like the extra snarky, drippy sarcasm, snide remarks, side things. So it's just like, I think I, yeah, like I'm all in with you or something. And then if it, but then I'm like, I'm like terrible and I can't let it go if I, if I don't. And I'm, I'm trying to, I feel like I need to get better at that now that I'm talking about it out loud at this extended blank <laughs> like this. now that we're having our yeah, own therapeutic session together thank you um but but i think you know there's you get an invoice in the mail it, it's there and so you know on the professional side like cycle cycle was born out of being sort of dismissed from annenberg at brown university brown university mm-hmm. is my alma mater i actually had a very positive undergraduate experience there um bunch of things wrong with the institution because it's ivy and it's terrible and there's all those things but i had like a personally very you know i have great friends i found my life partner with and all these wonderful memories um really enjoyed working there and had that nostalgia when there and then like you know and, and even gave to the alumni fund and all those things and then i was like oh well, we didn't get fired technically but we were told our programs need to leave the institution and go find a new home and they helped us do that. There's actually many ways to tell the story where it was like the Brown was supportive of moving us somewhere else, even though they made this strategic decision not to support the kind of work we were doing anymore. But all I like can tell about that story, or I'd like to tell about that story, is how terrible of an experience it was and how like stupid Brown is for not wanting to do the work that we do and how, you know, how the institution is trash and how I can't deal with the president. And until that president leaves, I ain't giving nothing to the to the alumni fund. Like, they really needed my $150 a year anyway. But, like, <laughs> like they re- they're really missing that chunk of change. Um, right, yeah, yeah. Their endowment their is really endowment hurting as a just, result of your, like, sticking it to them. 50% <laughs> in the last year. Five zero, right? <laughs> So, you know, I mean, but that, you know, my 150 could have been 225. So that, (laughs) but that, but, and I hold, I'm holding, and I'm still holding. And that was, that was, that was four years ago next week. Um, Or by the time this year airs, it'll be four Mm. years past. So, and, and Mm. I can't let it go. 
And it's like, it doesn't even matter. They ain't thinking about me. Like, why am I wasting all this energy? Right? <laughs> so. It feels so good, though. It feels so it's, good and self righteous. It does. And, and, I think that yeah. is it. Maybe, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe <laughs> that's it. Maybe that is where, maybe it's the self righteousness. I think that might be the word that I don't want to say out loud, but that there can, there is definitely a, 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 mm. a lick of that. Um, there is onion. This this patty is yeah, like yeah, an we onion. Huh? We <laughs> layers. We can just keep putting back. No, I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that because I think that's the case for all of us. Um, and that's something we were talking about even before you joined. Is like, how do we as a show get better at mm-hmm. peeling and peeling and peeling and trying to really dig deeper and deeper into into that those layers because. Yeah, you are far yeah, from and, alone. And that. I think it relates to, I mean, where I like the question is it also, I mean, it, it it pushes on sort of our vulnerability and I'm relatively open. Like, I, I think I don't have too many hang-ups talking about things that about that are, like, not, um, not pretty about myself. But, you know, in a, in a trusted conversation and space. But, like, I think that gets to this other piece around like how we deal with folks who we deem as so different from us too because we don't want to believe there is commonality because what does that say about me right like you know Mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean that i enjoy golf like what does that actually say about me shit you know like and and so i think those those pieces are like you know it's our own sense of self that or sense of like who we want to be or who we project to be once we kind of un- think about the petty peel back the onion and get to the parts of us that are a little you know a little bit ugly but like you know it's it's hard because we want you know especially in this other in the like progressive movement space you know, there's this veneer of, there is a veneer of righteousness and that we need to be doing things, but um, in particular ways. And so if, once you deviate from that, like you're, you know, you're out, you're out of the club. And so, but then like, ain't none of us yeah. actually, you yeah. know, nobody's, nobody's pure. So. Yeah. If that's the club, none of us, but mm-hmm. it needs to be an empty room. Seriously. Seriously, if we're being honest, um, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, uh, Keith, for giving us your time and your energy. And thank you so much for the work you're doing out there. Um, yeah, thank so you. appreciate you. On and, and off the golf course. To, on and off the golf course. Exactly. Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. 
Doug Fahrenstein is our audio engineer. Sarah McCandless is our administrative support. Jennifer Cotting and Soraya Yamada Sapien help us out with marketing and promotional support. Thank you all so much. Without your continued efforts, this show would not be possible.